This is Cardinal Francis George. I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Word on Fire Catholic Ministries is a nonprofit ministry at the forefront of Catholic evangelization, using new media to spread the faith on every continent. Father Barron challenges us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The global benefactors of Word on Fire, with the support of the Archdiocese of Chicago, now present Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, our readings for this weekend give us two stories of cure and conversion. And as is almost always the case with the scriptures, these accounts are to be read at several levels. First at a literal level, but also at a deeper, more symbolic level. They are microcosms of the spiritual life, of the spiritual journey. The gospel is that well-known story of the ten lepers who are healed, but only one, a Samaritan, returns to give thanks. Again, a kind of typical motif in the gospels of the the stranger, the outsider, who actually responds more than an Israelite. It gives you a hint here of that universal trajectory that's within the Gospels. Christ comes to his own people, to Israel, but Israel is meant to be the magnet to all the nations. So we see that trajectory in this story. But the narrative calls to mind a remarkable story from the Old Testament, from the second book of Kings, and a passage from that Uh, section is our first reading. The church, as usual, is juxtaposing the gospel with a Old Testament reading. This um, story from the second book of Kings has to do with Naaman. Naaman was the commander of the army of the king of Syria. A short way of saying, someone who was very powerful and very successful. But We hear that underneath his success, there is a thorn in the flesh, for he suffers from leprosy. Now, through a slave girl, he finds out about certain prophets in Israel who are able to effect cures, and he sends for information. Now, mind you, this was a pretty dangerous thing to do. You're the king of a rival, or the general of a rival army, and you're sending a scouts, as it were, into this uh, other country. You know, think like during the Cold War, if an American general was suddenly sending uh, feelers into the Soviet Union, it would, it would cause suspicion on both sides of the divide. But Naaman is, uh, is desperate enough for a cure, and so he's checking it out. He sends a message to the king of Israel, asking that he might come into the country and uh, be cured. But the king, in line with the power politics of that time and and really any time, reads it as a veiled attempt to pick a quarrel with him. In the world of powerful and confident men, he just couldn't believe that someone was admitting his weakness, his need for a cure, and indeed going over to a rival country to find it. Well, Elisha, the great Israelite prophet, the successor of Elijah, gets wind of this request. He hears about it. And he invites Naaman, the Syrian general, to come. The great man responds positively to this invitation. And the prophet tells him very precisely what he must do. He says, go bathe 
seven times in the Jordan and you will be cleansed. Now at this, the pride of Naaman is awakened. Naaman, who had been pretty humble to this point, now his pride is awakened. Listen to him. Aren't there enough rivers in my own land? I thought he would come himself and wave his hand over the spot and cure me. In other words, he gets this word from the prophet and says, well, come on, I could have jumped in a river in my own country. I thought this great holy man would at least come and he'd he'd wave his hand over me and cure me. In other words, why didn't he come out to meet me directly and deal with me? Well, overcoming his pride and thinking the better of it, he eventually goes and does what Elisha had asked. And he is cleansed. When he realizes what's happened, he comes to Elisha and confesses his faith in Elisha's God. And finally, he asks for something rather extraordinary. Listen. Please let me have two mule loads of earth, for I will no longer offer holocaust or sacrifice to any other God except to the Lord. To the point here is that a God could be worshipped only on the land of the people who honored that God, hence the request for these loads of earth. Okay, you say, well, that's a kind of interesting story from an ancient time. It's a sort of intriguing account of healing. But why are we focusing on it? Why is that our first reading? Why should I, in the year 2010, pay special attention to this kind of quirky uh, ancient story? Well, can I suggest to you, friends, this story is of enormous spiritual significance. It speaks as clearly to us as it did to people in ancient times. Let's take it now step by step, but looking more at the symbolic and spiritual level of it. As you know now from throughout the scriptures, the disease of leprosy was especially dreaded in ancient times. It was disfiguring, it was embarrassing, it resulted in profound social isolation. And at the time, there was nothing they could do about it. Thus, it served now as a particularly good symbol for any dysfunction of the mind or the spirit or the soul. It's a good image for anything that's, that's in you, that's on you, that's in your heart, that's in your mind, that is dysfunctional, that is disfiguring. How many rich, powerful, successful people struggle deep down with some imperfection, some embarrassment, some sin that compromises their sense of self. See, I want you to move into the space of Naaman, this great general of the Syrian army. And now think of someone today, you know, wealthy, prominent, sophisticated, well thought of, someone at the top of his game, top of her game. But there is within this person a leprosy. I don't mean it literally. I mean some disfigurement, some embarrassment, some imperfection. You know, I've spoken to you before about this, but it always strikes me. Abraham Lincoln, one of my great heroes, suffered from terrible depression much of his life. So did Winston Churchill. Think of Churchill, perhaps the man of the 20th century. One of the most significant, powerful, successful, influential people of the last hundred years suffered all his life long from a terrible depression. Sir Laurence Olivier, arguably the greatest actor of the 20th century, 
but suffered at midlife when he was at the height of his powers, suffered from debilitating stage fright. Can you imagine? People come to see the greatest actor in the world, and he's trembling like a school kid with stage fright. Think of FDR's uh, paralysis. All examples of great people who nevertheless had this thorn in the flesh, something debilitating, something that was compromising them. Okay, what ought we to do, all of we contemporary Naamans? Well, we notice first the man's humility. He hears about the Israelite prophets who might cure him. How? From an Israelite slave girl. Now that means his army's gone into Israel at some point. They've conquered and they've carried certain people away. There was no one lower on the social scale than a slave. Now, in this time, long before feminism, women were seen as second-class citizens. Therefore, a slave girl was about as low as you could get on the social ladder. The point is, Naaman, the great general, has the humility to listen to her. She becomes for him the bearer of the divine message. Friends, you never know where the truth is going to come from. You never know who's going to be the bearer of God's word to you. And if you're too uppity, you're too sophisticated to listen, you might miss the message. Naaman has the great virtue of humility, and that enables him to start the path toward healing. Secondly, we hear that the king of Israel is suspicious of him and tries to block him. The road to healing is always blocked. Not usually, not sometimes. It's always blocked. When you now have started to walk down a path that will lead to the healing from your leprosy, from your sin, your dysfunction, whatever it is, know that you will be blocked. There are always forces arrayed against the divine grace. Expect opposition and don't be put off by it. See, that that story is told up and down the Bible. Anyone that starts walking the path of salvation, walking the path of healing, is going to be met with opposition. So will you. You got to have the humility, first of all, but now you got to have the perseverance to hang in there. Finally, when Naaman gets the word from Elisha, it doesn't make sense at first. It just seems like so much nonsense. What do you mean jump in the river seven times? Aren't there rivers up in my own country? And how will jumping in a river help me? It's a very important point here. You see it, by the way, not just in our tradition, but in other religious and spiritual traditions too. Namely, when you're a little bit lost and you've come to a spiritual teacher or a spiritual master, what that person tells you will often seem to you bizarre. Why? Well, because you're debilitated spiritually. That's what this leprosy symbolizes. It, what's, what's off in name and what's not right with him. See? When the master speaks out of his very rich spiritual experience, out of his spiritual consciousness, what he tells you will often seem very strange. The point is, trust the process. Trust the word that's coming to you from the spiritual master. You know, let's say someone is lost spiritually. They've wandered off the right path. 
they find themselves depressed, they find themselves disoriented. And they come to a priest who says, you know what you should do? I'd like you to go before the Blessed Sacrament every day for the next uh, two weeks. I'd like you to pray a couple of decades of the rosary each time you're before the Blessed Sacrament. Well, someone who's been away from prayer, away from the life of the church, that's going to seem like so much nonsense. How is that going to help my depression? How is that going to help me get back on the right path? And the priest, like Elisha, might say, trust me. Trust me. You don't get right now how this will help you, but it will. So Naaman, after you know his pride is stirred up, but he does have the humility and the grace finally to cooperate. If you're lost, you're wrestling with whatever that leprosy is in you, listen to the church. Listen to the wisdom of the church, even when it strikes you as, as strange or bizarre. Finally, Naaman is cured. And then he is led to worship. That's when he asks for those loads of earth to bring back to his own country, that he might worship the true God. Worship, in a certain sense, is the goal of the whole spiritual life. It's the point of the journey. Once we've been healed of our sin, of our dysfunction, of our fear, of our depression, whatever it is, then we are free to orient our lives utterly to God. Where it finally leads is praise. That's why you know the Mass is so important for Catholics. It's the source and summit of the Christian life. Once you've been cured... Now you're ready for the heart of the matter, which is praise. So friends, reread that story from Second Book of Kings, the story of Naaman the Syrian. Watch his progress from his deep sickness all the way to praise and see in it a microcosm of the spiritual itinerary. And God bless you. I hope you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George, and I pray that God will bless you and those you love. Father Robert Barron is combating the crisis of faith in our culture. Father Barron's expanded website can deepen your faith, give you new insights into scriptures, and help you become a better Christian. Go to wordonfire.org and tap into Father Barron's compelling videos, sermons, articles, and much more. Wordonfire.org. Connect with one of the Catholic Church's best messengers. Every day, everywhere.